Hey guys, I'm Texas Garden Guy, and this is The Garden Party. This is The Garden Party, and we want a garden party with you. We talk about the plants we grow and some things you might not know. The Garden Party. Everybody, welcome to The Garden Party. Phil, go ahead and introduce yourself. What up, everyone? It's your favorite fig daddy, plant parent, and regular parent, Phil from Phil's Figs. <laughs> exactly. Whatever Phil says, that's, that's exactly. <laughs> Phil's going to get me with something on that one one day. Um, Be like, I'm Dustin Nowak. <laughs> um, as y'all heard before, I'm Texas. I'm Dustin Nowak, Texas Garden Guy. Uh, our next guest is a returning guest. He hasn't been on for a while. I know y'all missed him just as I have. And we got Vikram Baliga, the plant professor. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Vikram Baliga. I'm the plant prof. I am currently antagonizing uh, former child actor Josh Peck on social media um, because he ate a burrito wrong. And so I chose violence and ate uh, a lemon <laughs> with the rind and everything. And uh, that'll should. make your... That'll make your mouth tingle a little bit. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, but Vikram, you just set a tone. That's all. That's what you did. You said I did, tone. and I I don't know where to go from here. Right? Like, how do I escalate that? Uh, you need to do a full on instructional video on how to eat a burrito properly. And tag him. In <laughs> oh, there. that's a good one. Yeah, yes. that's a good one. Well, and we have a new guest, a first time guest, and uh, Vikram. Since you know him so well, I'll let you introduce him. Yeah, this is Dr. Kevin Ong, the Texas plant doctor. He's a pathologist and a very good dude. Sweet. Hey, guys. Go ahead, go ahead and yeah. uh, get, give everybody your background, Kevin, so they know, uh, they, they know like, uh, I, I, you gave me kind of your backstory. You can kind of let everybody know what your background is and what you do. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out right now. Why did I say yes to doing this? But anyway, guys, I, I think <laughs> I'm the only dude here. But um, I'm a professor in the associate department head at the Department of Plant Pathology and Microbiology here at Texas A&M. And I direct our Texas Plant Disease Diagnostic Lab. So with this group here, I know Vikram, I think, for a long time. I think I knew you when you were a student. And yeah, county yeah agent a long time ago. And so on. But we have a lot of things in common. Namely, one is... Bow ties. <laughs> I think I have the coolest stuff. Uh, but it's always good to get to hang out with some folks and talk plant disease stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, I met Kevin at the Texas Tomato Lovers Conference up in Brenham. Um, I did my uh, presentation. It was mostly a Q&A. Um, and I, I had never met Kevin. And people were asking some crazy questions. And I was like, where's Kevin at? I heard this guy is pretty smart. I was like, uh, Kevin, what is that? And he's like, okay, I got you. And uh, we we uh, we hit it off pretty quick. And I was like, I, I got to go to A&M and go see this plant clinic, which in my mind, you know, he said he's a diagnostician. So I assumed he was like the plant version of house, like Dr. House, you know, oh. and that like, you know, that's right. When I think diagnostician, I've seen every single episode of house. And anybody who's seen every episode of House thinks they could probably diagnose people like illnesses. Um, it's always lupus. And, and, and yes, it's, it's never lupus. It's never lupus. Um, but yeah, I got to go do a tour of basically like the CDC 
of you know the the, the plant like texas plants and it was really cool getting to go up there and get a tour of the place you did realize i'm just as grumpy if not grumpy in house right <laughs> without without the opioid addiction yeah yes that's true <laughs> you did have a little limp we did do the stairs a lot you know you, you were you were kind of getting a little bit towards the end yeah, just just a note here. You guys realize I'm not as young as you guys, right? You never. I never would have guessed. I never would have guessed. No, no. I uh, I wanted to get you on because I, I get so many questions about plant diseases and like what's going on with my this time of year is like what's going on with my tomatoes and what was your presentation called? It's not a virus. It's not a disease. What was your presentation called? I don't even remember right now what I call that presentation, but I think I remember it was something like the beauty of uh, tomato diseases or something. Yes, oh. yes. yes. And he just had slide after slide and it was like, this, it's not a virus. This, it's not a virus. You know, it's, it's, it, it, it cracked something wrong. Yes. Yes. <laughs> There's not, something wrong. It's, not, it a cool. <laughs> it's yes. not a virus. But it looks cool. Yes. Yeah, and and we got to talking, and I was, you know, I always tell people that like ninety percent of problems when it comes to like the vegetable garden is how you're watering and how often you're watering. That's like so much of the problem. Yeah, water flow for sure. I would find that with people with their fig cuttings on like drainage, so like poros soil porosity too plays a role because then you create environments for stagnant water to wreak havoc with all the things that grow in it, right? Right. You know, one of the challenges here in, in Texas, you all know Texas is a big state, bunch of climatic <laughs> conditions. The hard yeah. part is so many parts of Texas, you know, when it rains, it pours. When it's dry, it's dry as a bone. <laughs> yep. the, the extremes, plants don't like that, you know, and, 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 and other, the organisms, the pathogens, they have learned to take advantage of that. You know, when the going is good, uh, we're like nuts. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And, uh, and so y'all, when I first talked to Kevin, I mentioned Vikram Baliga and he was like, Oh my God, that guy, that guy. <laughs> that's, so, the right, that's the right answer. And, and, and so when I was at the clinic, I started talking to Kevin about Vikram and he was like, he basically like, saved for the podcast, like how, how y'all know each other. So how, how did y'all meet each other? And what, like, what is y'all's background together? I don't so even we... remember how long ago. So you'll have to, <laughs> Your memory, hopefully, is better. I, I don't know that it is. It's been a long time. I'm trying to remember. So I was a student at A&M till 2010. And then I worked for the extension service for about four years from like 2014 for to 18. So I think I, I think I knew Kevin, probably not as well while I was a student. And then we worked together some uh, as a when I was a county agent. I've never been down to see the the clinic because it's on the other side of the universe for me <laughs> in Texas. But uh, yeah, I've known Kevin for for quite a while. Yeah, uh, that, that's yeah. I, it was it was weird because like uh, you would have a different experience at the at the clinic because Kevin was walking me around like I was like a VIP or something like that, and everybody kept asking like, "Oh, where's he from?" Like. What university is he from? Like, where, where is he visiting from? And I'm like, oh, I live south of Pearland. You know, like, I, <laughs> I need to like, I need to come up with a better response next time when when I go up there. <laughs> no, next time we should just go. Hey, yeah, I'm the Texas Garden guy. Oh just God, yeah, buddy, You're famous, Destin. Come Dude, on, Ke you are good sir. 
Kevin is such a dad. He was doing the dad thing to me the whole time. He was like, do you know, where he, I must have handed out 50 stickers. I was like, <laughs> Kevin was like, you know, you know, you follow him on Instagram, you follow him on TikTok. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay. I'm, I'm used to, I usually like to fly below the radar. It's fun, though. <laughs> if, if you have it, you got to flaunt it, man. I guess so. I guess you're right. You are right. I. I should be a little more proud, I'm sure. Oh, I was going to tell everybody in the chat, if you're watching on Facebook, uh, we have a good panel of people. We have, what I think both two of y'all are doctors, and uh, Phil, are you a master's degree, or are you a doctor? I have a master's degree. Yeah, so we got Paleo like... Paleoceanography. <laughs> yeah, we got like 20 years of knowledge here in the chat, not counting, n none of that goes towards me. Um, so like, if y'all have any gardening questions, especially like uh, disease questions, feel free to drop them down below. Um, let's see. I've got a question here. Uh, when you plant seeds in a starter pot and they start to grow, how do you then separate the seedlings into a bigger pot? I guess it's talking about, um, uh, thinning out your tomatoes. Uh, do, do you, are you cut your, your, uh, your tomato seedlings, Phil? You cut your tomatoes or you pull them out? I, fing I finger them apart and see which one takes and see if I can get all three going. I roll the dice. <laughs> the terminal. I'm, I'm a snipper. I, I, I try my best to be one seed, one hole, one seed, one hole in every, every cell. Good on uh, you. But it's, it, it's hard sometimes when you get like into like broccoli, all the brassicas, <clears throat> stuff like mint, especially mint. And uh, I did a bunch of, I told myself, I was like, I'm going to go do some natives this year. I, I get so many like comments on videos, you know, saying, why don't you grow more natives? Why don't you grow more natives? Well, I was like, well, I will this year. So I bought a bunch of Texas red salvia seeds and they're like the size of the tip of yeah. a pinhead. If you so could tiny. get one seed per thing, I was oh. like, the only thing I could do one seed of is like zucchini. Cause it's yeah. like a quarter inch long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, you never have to thin out your zucchini or cucumbers, but like tomatoes. So yeah, what I usually do is uh, I don't pick out the tallest tomato seedling. I usually pick out like the thickest one, whichever one's the thickest. And I take a pair of scissors and I will either, you can take the risk, whatever, like, like, a, like Phil was saying, you can try to get, get it out or you can just snip it out right at the base and try not to damage the other one. Um, but that's, that's, um, that's my thing that I do with that. Well, go ahead, Phil. So I'll give My, you guys I, this, oh, oh, Kevin's got a smart, yeah, smart yeah. answer. Let, let me give you guys a, a trick. This is what I make the students do when they have to do experiments with tiny, tiny seeds. Okay. And usually they'll spread that out on like a cake pan with media. And when they got tiny little seedlings, maybe about an inch or so, I'll make them go in real carefully with a pencil tip, you know, number two pencil or, or you know, with a forcep. And slowly dig in and push out from the bottom, and then they can transplant. Now, if they're real gentle, oh man, the seedling will survive. You know what we call that? Practice and patience. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I I have a lot exactly of respect right. for that. After my graduate research, I would look under the microscope for these uh, microscopic uh, fossils called uh, foraminifera that you find in, in yes, just pelagic and benthic and. I had to collect a oh, lot yeah. of those and put them into a mass spectrometer at the end of my research and, <laughs> and hope that it worked. Um, but the tediousness of science and making sure you can do that. And then what is it? Precision and accuracy, right? The relationship. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Phil, tidbit for you. Yeah. 
Now, Destin and Vikram doesn't know this, but when I was doing my master's, I actually got a master's of arts in biology from from Temple University in Philly. But oh, when nice. I was doing that, I was actually teaching marine ecology. Oh, cool. So you know forams. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to get them. There's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of big words used tonight. There's going to be a lot of big words, <laughs> words you never no. heard before used yeah, tonight. Things I'm trying to forget. <laughs> well, I was like speaking of you said Temple. Um, I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in Amish country. Oh yeah, my folks are still in the Norristown area. They're in Norristown. Oh man, that's you know awesome. about the soils there, right? You can throw anything in the ground and it'll grow. No, it's <laughs> can't really like, well, I know like and you have like I went to high school in Pottstown, so there was like um, a lot of iron deposits there. Yeah, because you, you oh, got your you got your undergraduate from Penn, right, Kevin? Penn State. Yeah, that's cool. Penn State, yeah, the, the state Happy school, Valley, not, not, not geek school. Oh, okay, okay, okay. One's Ivy League. Penn State's still a great school. Nittany Lions. Penn State. The Nitt yeah. Nittany Lions. I, I always think it's like I. I was laughing at uh, Vikram the first time because I just assumed that because he went to Texas Tech that he must have graduated from Texas Tech, you mm. know, but like, you know, and then uh, Kevin was saying like, oh, yeah, I went to Penn State and I got my, my doctorate from Clemson and all that. I was like, oh, wow. So like y'all just hired the best. I guess it makes sense. You hired the best candidate regardless of where they went to school. No, see, yeah. the way I got my job is I just wouldn't leave. I was already here. <laughs> and I referred, I refused to leave, and they were just like, all right, I guess. So I'm still here, you know. That's, that's the one good thing about Vikram. You showed me the best place in that part of Texas with Rose Rosette. And by golly, that, that garden there, beautiful symptoms of cedar apple rust. Oh, yeah. From the, the cedar. Wow. Oh. Is oh it, yeah, is it cedar is it apple? Cedar apple rust? Yeah, mm -hmm. I've never is heard that before. There? The the cedar apple rust? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it's not as bad because the cedars are dying, uh, and so there's less there's oh. less material for it to grow on. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been bad, and you know we ended up pulling out most of those roses just because yeah. it was it was so bad we couldn't. And we didn't want to spread it to the rest of campus and, and stuff like that. But we had, yeah, we had uh, something like a hundred um, like heirloom varieties, beautiful uh, varieties of roses. And every single one of them got rose rosette and they all had to come out. It's a, it's a oh, super no. sad. Can, can y'all explain cedar apple rust? I've never heard of that before. Oh, that's the common name of disease, a rust disease, which is caused by a fungus. So if you want big words, the Latin name of it, of that fungus is Gymnosporangium virginiani. But it's called cedar apple rust because when they first studied it, guess what? They found it on cedar and they found it on apple. You don't the say. Life cycle of it is, you know, it, it stays one to, for one part of its life on the cedar as a gall. And then oh. it can infect the apple tree. Now, that is where it was found. But in, in, in Texas, we don't have a lot of apples. Where we see the problem on it is on pear trees. Oh, okay. Mm. And it's the and same it can, species? It can it's just... on... Oh, sorry. Yeah, there, there are several species of the gymnosporangium. The, com the most common one, cedar apple rust, is, is, is the uh, gymnosporangium 
Virginiani. Yeah. And it can it can host on uh Agarita as well, can't it? The Berberus um yes. Well, but okay. that's a different Russ. Oh, it's a different one. Okay. It's a different Russ, yeah. And and what what is a common treatment for rust? Like I know a lot of people say copper fungicide. Like that's like a, like a common like treatment people use. But but what what is like a is that cedar apple rust? Is it curable? Not really. But you know what? There are like resistant varieties cultivars of apple and resistant cultivars of pear. So you can actually plant those, and they won't get the problem at all. But, uh, you know, the, the easiest way to get rid of it is find the galls on the cedar and chop it off, prune it off. Really? Okay. Yeah. The, the galls are wild looking, too. They have these, like, telial horns. They kind of look like like yellow or orange, like, fingers that, like, hang down off of the, the cedar trees. They're, they're crazy looking. I'm going to Google this later on. I'm writing this yeah. down. You, you should take well, we, pictures we... of them, them because it's, I think it's going to pop soon. It probably will. And we've been, like, we've been warming up fast here. Uh, and I bet I bet we'll start seeing it pretty before too long. It's been kind of wet too, so. Oh, bonus! Mm-hmm. Wet, <laughs> wet and warm. Uh oh, that's like well, we I have fig rust that we have to battle, and Dustin, you have it too, and like well, yeah, and that's why the copper fungicide plays a role in trying to. You're not getting it to the. You're not eliminating the source, which which sounds like you would do with the cedar. But. No, but when you are treating like like for fig rust and all that, I, I guess the apple growers they could use copper and all that. But copper is not often very effective on, on, on at least a cedar apple rust. Got it. Okay. See, I, I don't treat for rust at all. I When it comes to my fig leaves, it's usually around the time that my leaves are dropping anyway. So they, they drop and they come back. And I don't, I don't really, I don't really worry about it so much. You know, it, it doesn't really, yeah. it doesn't do much damage to the actual bark of the tree. And in, in from no, what I've seen. And- and in most part of Texas, you know, we, we don't have to worry because it's, it's, it's dry and hot enough that it, if it comes in, it'll come in and at the end of the season. So not something we need to be concerned about. But you out in North Carolina? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. take care of it. You, <laughs> you are in trouble. No, yeah. Um, so, and it wasn't so that, as bad. What's that? No, I was going to say, so it can damage like your fall crops? It hasn't damaged my it fall crops. It would cause leaf drop. Um, but it can damage okay. it for sure. Okay. Okay. That's not bad. See, up where I, just, I am I, in Texas, like... No, go ahead, Phil. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Phil. Oh, I was just going to say, sometimes when... Um, what I did as a as a preventer, whatever leaves that dropped that were infected, I actually threw into a fire, and I made a fire and burned them to try to eliminate it, the population of it a little bit, but... We'll see. Mm. So was what, that what? good practice, or was that, you know, uh, uh, therapy? It was cathartic. It's like a fig for graveyard. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my fig cutting graveyard. Oh, say yeah, he, he, he puts his fig cuttings. Dude, so I had been telling people for a long time to like put when they when they propagate like your their fig cutting to make sure to put it in right side up. And Phil actually did one upside down, and it's still. It's still propagated. It's still it, that's it so, that's so hilarious. Itself. It's like it does this nice little U shape now and it's starting to point <laughs> upwards. But I put it on its head and I said, "Deal with it," because I saw I did it. I was like, "Whoops!" Uh, well, we're rolling with it. So, um, dude, you should try to you should do you should do it in a hanging basket and try to grow an upside down fig tree in a hanging basket, like a five gallon bucket, and hang it from somewhere. There is a picture of 
a fig tree growing out a cliffside in Italy, just like hanging out the cliff, like down and up, kind of like this outward thing. And it just kind of hangs there. So like that on like a, a mega scale. And it, and it yeah. does it. Fig, they, nature finds a way. Thanks, you Jeff should Goldberg. totally try to do a. You should try to do a hanging fig. You should try it. I'm going to go for it. I think if you Google around, I seem to remember a number of years ago, there was some folks that were growing different things in a inverted hanging basket type system. I I can remember like what tomatoes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Toma- yeah, yeah, tomatoes and peppers. I've even seen squash. Um, like and you hang it and then you trellis some, you know. Um, I'm, I'll probably try tomatoes again this year. You can, like, I remember back in like the early 2000s, late 90s, it was like a, a fad thing to grow your tomatoes in those bags upside down on your porch. And so I did a video last year and it did so well until my hanging basket fell off and oh, just, no. just <laughs> killed the tomato like almost immediately. So. That'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> that was a bummer. I've got some questions over in the chat. Here we go. Uh, Louis Chamarro from Heirloom Souls. I tried to, I can't, I can't roll my R's, dude. Uh, gentlemen, I attempted to grow cucumelon last summer. I might planted too late and the heat might have harmed the plant. I noticed a powdery mildew. When is a good time to plant cucumelon from seed? And what should I do if the white powdery, for the pa- white powdery mildew? So has anyone grown cucumelons for? I have. Mm-mm. So cucumelons are the little uh they call them they're called cucumelons or sour mexican gherkins they're the little they're little uh, cucumbers they're I'm, I'm sure they're not even like a real cucumber um but they grow about the size of a grape they're really cute and really delicious i've made pickles out of them they're really good uh the problem is uh usually they vine like crazy and you can't find them you have to search to try to find them mm. uh but the cucumber seeds take forever to germinate. They probably take, because a regular cucumber takes like less than a week to germinate. The cucumelons sometimes can take like three weeks to germinate. So be patient. You can start them now. Um, and then for powdery mildew, I do my neem oil. Um, I do my I do neem oil once a week. That's just me because I've got a ton of stuff going on. Uh, but I have heard there's other options for powdery mildew. And uh, it's there's some other stuff becoming more popular, right, Kevin? Some different things. There's some, you know, if, if you want to go the natural way for, for the longest time, one of those home remedies has been, uh, what is it, potassium bicarbonate mm-hmm. uh, solution mm-hmm. of that. I don't remember what, uh, you might have to Google to see what, what percentage it is. But really what that works is like a desiccant. So powdery mildew is, so the cocoa melon, is that a cucurbit? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it's a really yeah. tiny one. So there are a number of cucurbits that just are not resistant at all to uh, powdery mildew. And, and, and if you guys are interested, powdery mildew is a common name and, and caused by a fungus and that eight different genera. So, oh, so really? Of, of fungus that actually produce symptoms that is called powdery mildew. Uh, so, so that the concept of using like the potassium bicarbonate is, is really like a, uh, a desiccant to, to try and keep things a little bit drier so that the uh, spores won't be able to germinate and, 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 and get whole. I think there are also commercial products, right? Some form of a different form of bicarbonates. What was one of it? Is it like C's or something like that? I don't remember right now. I, I don't, I don't remember the trade name, but I think it is a bicarbonate for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> is, is bicarbonate, like that would be like, um, like, like uh, baking soda. 
Is that bicarbonate? Yeah, it's along that same lines. Okay. I got you. Yeah, I've I've just always used neem oil. And because I'm already going for like the vine borers and certain things, yeah. the one I use is uh, uh, Bonide Neem Max. So it's like a fungicide and er, uh, fungicide and nematicide, a couple other. It's a four in one. So it kind of works for a couple of different things. Um, so that, that's what I use, but that's just what I've always done. And when people ask me about it, that's what I say. Um, but I have done videos on like old wives tales, uh, about mm -hmm. using milk. I've, I've done a video using milk. So if you have like an expired, you know, gallon of milk, half gallon of milk, you do one part water, one part milk, mix them together. And it's supposed to work as a powdery mildew. And I, I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know. I don't know if that would work or not, but it was like an old wife's tale. Well, I definitely did, there, I did a video some on science it. behind that. You know that, right? There's some science behind that. Right. So those old milk, there is some level of fat in there. So it, it acts like the neem oil in terms of mode of action. Neem oil is an oil. So even oh. a life agricultural oil actually would work because it just disrupts adhesion of the spore uh, uh, to the leaf itself. But the funny thing that when you mention milk, that mixture of milk spray on the plants actually works well for infect, uh, potential infection of viruses. Hmm. Now, really, really, if, if that virus is one that kind of gets deposited on the surface that needs a wound to get in, it interacts with that protein molecules from the milk. So think about, you know, the virus and then those mm -hmm. protein molecules like balloons, you stick balloons all over that virus particle. It basically activates it, encapsulates it. So that's kind wow. of a picture to draw in your head, oh. right? But unfortunately, a lot of viruses are transmitted by insects. I was going to say, so like, like that, they just inject it right in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's well, the and, problem and, with um, fig mosaic virus with um, figs is that it <laughs> just gets transferred by the spider mites, and you're like, da. Or I try, you know, you try to do as much cleaning as you can with your uh, your clippers and let them in and they just do it for you let's see I, I, got, I got a comment over here i had an arkansas's black apple and out of nowhere all the leaves fell off and dried up immediately this happened to the tree and the one next to it would that be fire blight that would be my guess it sounds like fire blight and and for, from what i've seen the only way to like combat fire blight is it when you catch it infected Prune it away immediately. Sanitation. That's the only. Yeah, with sanitary, you got to uh, uh, decontaminate your your tools and everything too. Um, but like to do pruning to get that fire blight away. That's the only thing I could think of. Well, we have we have a lot of fire blight yeah. in Texas. Yeah, but is this the Arkansas? What is it? She said Arkansas black. black. Yes. Whoever's so if phone I'm is, not mistaken, is I, I, I think the Arkansas right. black apple is, is supposed to be resistant to fire blight. Oh, interesting. Oh, really? I thought it is, but you need to double check on that because that's the the one out of Arkansas and the low chill, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so yeah. this, this would be a good question. This would be a good time to bring it up. So Kevin runs, the, he's the director of the Texas, the Texas Plant Clinic. If you go to Instagram, it's TX Plant Clinic. And if you have like questions or you have some issues with the plant, you can go to the DM. I think there's a link to like submit well, things and it's, yeah, it's but, hard. 
the volume we, of we stuff not on the DM as much, but I think that's a, a, a email ad- address that you can send to, and we'll try and get back as soon as we can. Give yeah. it a week. But if you are having issues like something like that, and you don't know what it is, um, it's a good idea to contact. This is one thing we talked about, Kevin, that I didn't know up until we talked to us that you know I, every county in Texas has an ag extension agent. You know, they, they you were saying that some have a horticultural agent, some have an like a regular agriculture, like for animals and ag, and then some have both, depending on the size of the county. Um, and that that would be a good contact for this person if they they can find their local ag extension, um, make an appointment with them to do something with that as well. And I'll I'll jump. A- North absolutely. Carolina does the same thing. Yeah, with the ag extension and. So, Phil, so I got a chance when Destin was here to to share with him at least some history about extension. Please. Yeah, so that, oh. that was a fun thing uh, yeah. that goes back all the way to Abraham Lincoln's time, you know. So that's, you know, with the land-grant schools and all that. But, hey, if you are in Texas, if you type in extension or AgriLife extension in Texas, it'll pull up the website and you can go there and find your county and it'll have a, a listing of the uh, – the, the folks that are in the county or at least a number to that office that you can reach out to. Absolutely. And Vikram, where were you at when you were? I, I was, I was here in Lubbock um, okay. for yeah, four years. And I, and I tell you, like I got, I got a lot of really tough questions that, you know, I think I would send, send out for help. Like I have no idea what this is. Uh, it's funny because as a county agent, you actually just get really good at Googling stuff. Like you learn how to use Google because people call you on the phone and like you'll be on the phone with some homeowner and they really expect you to know stuff. And it may be the most obscure, like uh, whatever. And so like I'd, I'd put them on my, you know, I'll be, oh, let me check through my notes. And I'm really just Googling stuff, you know, looking at university websites as fast I do it as all I the can. time, dude. I do that all the time when people ask me questions. Just like, uh, I got one question. So one time, um, I don't know if I've told the story. I got a, a letter in the mail and, um, you know, at the county office, and I think it was, it was, uh, sent by an older gentleman or, uh, and, and it was just like this, this wide envelope had a letter in it and what felt like a whole bunch of like powder down in the bottom of it. I'm like, like we were on the same floor as the like narcotics folks at the county office. I was like, do I need to like walk this over and like, have them take a look at this? Oh gosh. So <clears throat> I open it up and there's a sheet of paper with a twig taped to it. And it oh. said, can you help tell me what's wrong with my tree? And the powder was all the leaves that had been on this twig that had dried up and crumbled up into the bottom of this envelope while it was like in the mail. And I was just like, so they luckily they left a number. So I was able to like call and talk to this person and be like, can you maybe like send me a picture or, you yeah. know, describe it to me? Like, you know, I, Oh no, no, I got your sample. And it's, it was a really good sample. I just need a little more information. <laughs> in Why my you tell head, it was I'm a good like, sample. <laughs> Well, yeah. I, you know, they were they were older. And I was an older like, person. I was just trying yeah, to be I was, nice. I'm being facetious. <laughs> and and in my head, though, I'm like, what's wrong with it is you keep pulling all the leaves off of it and mailing them to people. <laughs> and like, I, I so, but but all that to say, like, we get some fun. We got some funny stuff as county agents, and I know they still do. But like that, they're there to help. Like, and if you have a, a local county office or even a regional office. Uh, uh, there's 12 like big district centers around the state district offices and 
um, yeah, send them your stuff, send them emails, give them a phone call, drop in if you're local. It, it's, it's really a great service. Yeah. I, I got to drop in and I was like, I, I was asking Kevin, I was like, say how many people work here? And he was like, Oh, like 20 something. And I was like, that's because he was telling me like who all sends them samples to get tested. I was like, there's not enough people here. Like that is so wild. Like it, it, it's undermanned and like underfunded and all this stuff, you know. It's so wild. Hey, when did I say twenty? <laughs> if you were talking about Plank Clinic, I think it was what three, four. Oh no, I, we were walking through the new building. I was like, "How many people work here?" You're like, "Oh, like twenty-two. Oh. And I was like, "Twenty-two." <laughs> you, you, oh, that was the one. How many faculty members we had in the Department of Plant Pathology and Microbiology? That was it. Now I remember. Oh, so okay. it was 22 and, and we are located all around the state. That's oh, not the state. Yeah. That for as big as Texas is, that's not enough people. That's not, it didn't seem like enough. So when you well, think about ex extension, you know, plant pathologists, we got seven located throughout the, uh, the state. We got what? Um, one. Yeah. Two people. Equivalent to one FTE up in Amarillo. <laughs> and, yeah. and then we got one in Uvalde, one in Westlaco, and hopefully uh, soon one in Lubbock. Hooray. Hopefully. And then, yeah. Uh, we, get, we get, I think, two others and myself in, uh, in, uh, in College Station. And the ones in College Station get the dubious honor of being always statewide. So. Wow. So, so Dr. Tom Isaacid, our cotton guy. You know, he make regular trips out to El Paso driving. That's nuts. Hey, Phil, that's about a 10 to 12 hour drive. <laughs> I was going to say, it's yes, probably from Texas. from here in North, like Wilmington, North my, Carolina my to my parents' house in Lancaster, Pennsylvania is 10 hours. So that's how many oh, states? Wow. <laughs> You're just all in Texas? <laughs> like... My head is like, yeah. what is happening? You know, New England, forget about it. You got four states in four hours, you know, but yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I, and I, I, I saw like the, the, the people working in your lab, uh, Hannah was really cool. Some of the girls that was really great meeting them. And uh, we we're talking about some of the, you know, y'all get all the sample, y'all get like a lot of samples in from the Texas department of agricultural, uh, as well. Um, and so they were talking about like all the samples, showing me how they uh, intake all the samples and how they test them and all. That. And that was so neat. But I was like, there's still only like five people in this lab. I was like, that is not enough people. It's so wild. I got a good group of folks right now. Hannah is my new uh, head diagnostician running the day-to-day -day operation there. But, you know, we do what we do with what we got. Yeah. And I, I was asking her what the, like the, the, you know, when I was there, they were talking about oak wilt. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I, you know, I've got, no, I've got two oak trees, but I, I, I probably, I probably only pay attention to my oak trees when they slap me in the face when I'm in the front yard. That's pretty much the only time I pay attention, but I know people like my dad who every time they drive past an oak tree, like, Oh, He's got, they got that fuzz on it. It's going to kill it. You know, my, my, every time my dad comes to my house, he sees the lichens growing on the side and he goes, you need to get some Consane 20 and spray that tree or that moss is going to kill the tree. And I was like, mm, no, I looked it up. You're wrong. But every time he shows yeah. up, he says the same, he says the same thing. He says the same thing every single time. Uh, but, you know, after talking to Hannah, 
you know, she was like, yeah, that is true for the most part, but a severe lichen infestation can be an indicator of something else going wrong, right. which was interesting. So I, I didn't know that. Yeah, so there there are a bunch of things. Lichen is one of them. It's what we call an indicator. You know, so if you want to think about it, the best way to, to kind of get a grasp of it is if the bar gets soft or get easier for something else to use it as a structural support, then that's going to happen. So if you got a lot of uh, uh, lichens on it, you know, lichens are not parasitic, but if they can grow on it, that tells you that something is wrong with that tree. Around central Texas, the, the, the ball moss. Talencia. Mm -hmm. Ball moss is an epiphyte, not a hmm. parasite, but I have the hardest time convince some folks that it is not a parasite. They keep saying, well, the ball moss is killing my tree. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The ball moss is there because your tree is already dying. Right. <laughs> yep. It's not, it's, it's not killing your tree. Your tree is dying regardless. And it just, right. it happens to hang out too. Yeah. It, wow. Yeah, it hang out and, and, and look funky. And and the worst thing is this, too. The last few years in Texas, we had such crazy weather, which have been doing a number on trees. And so we get a lot of situation with what is commonly known as hypoxylin canker. So that's a fungus. I think the new name is Bixobignia or something like that. And, uh, you know, people keep saying, hey, you know, is hypoxylin killing my tree? Well, technically, yeah. But they are weak pathogen, you know, weak parasite. Mm. They come in when the tree is already on the way out. And so they mm. colonize it and, and, and they do the last bit of it. You know, think of them as the, the little things that come in and hammer in that last hit on that nail in the coffin. But because Got they it. did that, the last one in place, people think they killed the tree. Well, technically they did, but they didn't make that tree suffer yeah. or get to the point of death. So how do you do that? You know, so we, we like to say it's an indicator. I like to say it's an indicator. If you see hypoxylin, obviously, and a lot on the tree, nope, you are not a good chance to save the tree. Take your losses. Yeah. Well, and I tell people a lot, like trees take a long, like, cause I get, I probably got, yeah. and I still get more tree questions than anything else. What's wrong with my tree? Well, and my first question I was, uh, have you watered your tree? Especially where I live, it's so dry. Like, water your trees. Uh, you got to water your trees. Down uh, here yeah. is down here. It's you watered your tree too much. Yeah, stop watering your tree. <laughs> yes. uh, but but trees take a long time to die. Like in general, unless it's something like like sudden oak decline or a few others. Like trees take a long time to die, and then they just like accumulate this complex of diseases and insects and all kinds of things because they're. You know, out in nature, they would start supporting other parts of the ecosystem and all this stuff starts building up. And yeah. uh, you, know, you mentioned oak wilt earlier. And, and Phil, I don't know if that's an issue where you are, but, you know, in Texas, that's killed, what, hundreds of millions of oaks across the state. It's a it's a big problem. Yeah, oh. it's mostly on, mostly on live oaks, right? Live oaks and red oaks. OK, got it. Yeah. Well, and I, I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, like my grandpa's got an ash tree, you know, they don't live you know, that long. Like they, they live maybe 30 years or so. You know, some people just don't realize that some trees just don't live forever, you know? Right. Uh, and so there's that as well. Uh, I got a really good question here and I know it's a good question because they got some words I've never heard of before. So <laughs> this would be a good one for you. So Amy, 
Andy McAnderson, which that's a fake name. Uh, uh, <laughs> boat face. Yeah. Boat face, yeah. <laughs> it says, what's the best way to deal with shot hole disease and plum curculio on peach trees? I've never so, heard of either one. No, I don't know. Two different things. Shot hole disease. That's not a real name, by the way. Well, oh, you have uh, to explain what it is, too. Like what? what, what okay, it is. so shot hole is actually a common description. Uh, so there's a, a disease that happened on peaches or stone fruits that basically start as a spot on the leaves. And eventually that spot dries out and pops out. So it looks like somebody took a shotgun to those leaves. Mm, wow. That's crazy. And that is actually caused by uh, a bacteria. So the actual thing, if you want to look it up, you can put shot hole, uh, what is it? Shot hole symptoms on bacterial spot of stone fruit, bacterial spot of stone fruit. Mm-hmm. Now, plum cucurulio is an insect. And they can do a number on, 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 on peach uh, tips and so on. And uh, uh, basically do a number on, on small fruits if it, if they, if they start feeding on it okay and and, and, what, and what would yeah. be like tra- what, would be, what would be treatments for any of this are, are there, is any so, of this treatment you know, again depending on, on on where you are what it is so with with bacterial spot um conditions is, is if it's wet humid and all that that it's going to be worse and so in in, in about well in in our peach growing areas in east texas and central texas it's, it's mostly a problem in East Texas because it's more humid and so on. But there's a tendency of it to come in later part of the season uh, after, after fruiting. If it does come in and you have issues early on it, um, or historically have that, we usually tell the growers to treat it preventatively. And uh, Andy, it's, it's, Andy said he's in Conroe. In Conroe? Yeah. Yeah. So so you, the probably if you, if you know they come in early, you know what? Usually after flowering and after small fruits are formed, but before it, it, it gets larger, you do want to protect those leaves. Because remember, a healthy leaves is going to make the food that is going to be stored in that fruit to, to give you nice fruit. So if this is a homeowner type situation, something like a copper fungicide uh, uh, would also have bactericidal activity. Mm-hmm. So it has okay. to be used in a preventative fashion. So mm-hmm. put it out there. Uh, uh, before it actually happens. Now I know there's things like dormant oils and stuff like that. Will, will stuff like that help prevent too before it starts uh, sprouting? Before it starts uh, budding? You can use some dormant oils, but that, that is mostly helping the. Uh, but you might want to mix it with the copper so it actually sticks better. But dormant oil alone does not really uh, uh, stop the bacterial. Yeah, I, I was just I was thinking as a preventative, just as a general preventative. It, can, it, it, it doesn't really. Okay. Yeah, it can help with your insect problems. That's uh, right. Especially in, in stone fruits, a lot of the insects from Asian fruit moths to the cucurleo and a few others, they'll, uh, at different life stages, they can overwinter in the leaf litter on the ground, uh, <laughs> plant litter on the ground. But they'll also, in some cases, um, winter in cracks in the bark. They'll crawl up in there and okay. there. So if you do a couple of dormant oil um treatments before the tree wakes up in the spring you can catch a lot of those crawlers uh and essentially suffocate them in like where they're hiding okay um and i think some of the recommendations i've seen in peaches specifically is 
uh, it'll it'll so i'm up here in lubbock so our our times are going to be different but you know two to two to three weeks before bud break um start with some treatments treated every 10 to 14 days um up through um really the beginning of fruit set uh and then and then usually you can knock down some of those problems and i know with we've had issues with shot hole um up here and in y'all in y'all's tiny orchard right yeah in my tiny yeah <laughs> microscopic little orchard um and it gets up the problem is like it, yeah and it it, de- it depletes photosynthetic capacity but it also can get on the fruit and the fruit's still edible but you'll see spots on it you get a little sap forming on the fruit okay. which people don't love to buy i can tell you from yeah. experience if it's got it, it tastes the same you can just cut those portions off and it's fine um sometimes you get developmental problems but um yeah a, a a dormant treatment sometimes uh for us we tend to see it i've seen more in the between bud break and fruit set we get see it kind of early and then we're so hot and dry in the summer that it's not a problem know, for y'all not as big of a problem um and then but you also have to be a little bit careful with some of those copper fungicides at after bud break because they are phytotoxic as well at high rates so if you spray them too heavy, you can knock leaves and buds and stuff off. So you have to be kind of careful with it. Uh, get, yes. get your get your dilution right, right, rates right, and then yeah. Make sure you read the label well. And if you ever spray that thing at bud break and flowering, and your flowers look blue, you overdid it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's too much. Oh yeah, <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah, it'll accumulate. Uh oh. I was gonna say it sounds like oxidation of the copper. No, no, the, the the flowers, the blooms, that white blooms pick up the uh, the coloration. Yeah. And so when you uh-huh. see that, you know, you go like, uh-oh, two days later, the petals start to drop and turn brown. Oh, and you go, what? Oh, you know, this is, this is yeah. a sort of anecdotal, but my peach orchard is actually right next to a pecan orchard. It's just, just across the street. And we'll actually see flower drops sometimes when they go out and spray chelated zinc uh in the mm-hmm. in the spring for the same reason you get that that sort of metal toxicity in the flowers and it's usually not enough to knock them all off but sometimes it does a little thinning for me and i'm not mad at it uh because thinning peach blossoms is a pain in the butt um but yeah so so you just need to be like conscious of the environment around you too yeah. and you know some of those things can cause ecological problems too if you're not careful so yeah like like kevin said like that label is sort of your contract and they're your instructions yeah. you should be reading the label and applying well, appropriately and and that's why i always tell people like when they ask me like hey what do you spray for this you know i tell them hey i use cold press neem oil this is the brand i use and i follow the directions to a tea you know because i don't know what brand they're gonna go out and get so if I tell them two part two tablespoons per gallon on this brand, it won't be the same on that brand. So I always emphasize read the label on this stuff because you, you will screw you will screw up if you just freehand stuff. So you know. I'm I'm gonna say this too. You know, regardless of if you use a natural product or a synthetic product, read the label carefully because research has been done to make sure that they provide instruction on a safe level to use. And if you use that correctly, it can be very effective. I think you need to put away from your mind that more is better because in mm-hmm. this situation, more is not always better. Right. Yeah. Especially with fertilizer. You know, that, same thing with fertilizer. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can definitely over-fertilize your plants. 
Absolutely. Well, I, I, uh, I, I couldn't let this conversation end without bringing up the uh, groundbreaking gardening method of uh, electroculture. And I, I, I was wondering since, since you're an ag extension agent, I, I have, I have, it's, it's not even really, it's not even really spring yet. And I've already had several messages and comments about electroculture. And I was like, I've got, you know, a lot of, a lot of, I got, this is a house of science here. And I, I want to get y'all's opinion. Uh, Kevin, have you heard no. of, have you heard of electroculture? You have to catch me up on speed on that one. Because I hope it's not what I think it is. It's what you think it is. I think, I think you, think, yeah. oh no. <laughs> Vikram, yeah, no. Vikram, explain electroculture. <laughs> so the, the basics of it, uh, and I'm going to use some words that you're going to like here. Uh, it's, it's harnessing uh, latent energies and uh, ethereal currents by putting like copper rods in your garden to, or sometimes they literally run an electric current through the soil. So um, this is what I think it is. It's exactly what you think it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you, what are your thoughts, Kevin? <laughs> okay, I'm going to be really nice here. Did you realize that sometimes it can work under the right conditions? Yes. Because if you think about it, the soil is a chemistry lab. Mm-hmm. And when you put electric charges, electrons in it, you're going to do some funky things to that. And it is possible that you have a situation where the additions of electrons may result in certain chemicals in that soil to transform yeah. into a form that becomes plant available. Are you are you are you supporting? So you're saying okay? I have so you can ionize the soil for bioavailability. Yes, that's the big words. I'm so proud of you, Phil. Phil Smith, thank you. (laughs) So so of it is, yeah. You know, is it possible? Yeah, it is possible. Is it plausible? Is it consistent? I don't think there's any research that has shown that it is consistent. That that you can consistently reproduce something like this so so you know from the science perspective if you cannot reproduce it you know consistently then it's not something that that you would say it would work you know so i use it in in terms of like when we talk about diseases and treatments and and we might say okay this thing works but it has an error rate of 40 percent you know, so it says 40% of the time it's not going to work. Well, hey, do you want to tell a farmer to use that? Or even better still in the clinic, Oakville is one of them. There is a, 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 a PCR test out there, which basically can, can, we can do the test for Oakville detection in about a week or three days to a week rather than the 21 days that we need right now by growing it out. But why don't we do, do it? It's a, what is it? It's a... 30%, 27%, I think, error rate that we're getting. So mm. I'm not comfortable with telling somebody, hey, you know, you got oak will, and there's potential that 27% of the time I'm wrong. I think I'm, I'm right. more comfortable with, uh, at, at the very least, a 10% error rate. So, yeah. so this is one of those situations where you say electro, you know, hey, I, if you have the money and you have the craziness to want to do this, go ahead and try it. It might work. 
Well, and, and if it did, don't think that it'll work someplace else. Well, and most people are not putting an electric current. Like when, when most people are wrapping copper wires around bamboo poles and sticking them in their their garden. Yeah, and so yeah, that, that that's the majority. What we're you know, I I could see where actually running an electric current could maybe do something, maybe even pests like some sort of pest control uh, of sorts as well. Um, but yeah, I, I I get a lot of questions, and it's one of those new fad things, you know, yeah. like like you know you you get, you get the people that just swear by certain things, you know, like the eggshells in the garden, you know, does is putting eggshells in the garden going to hurt anything? No. Um, but is it going to solve your blossom end rot tomorrow? No, I mean, it's not going to, not going to do that, you know? So, I mean, there, but it's not hurting anything. So, I mean, the same thing with the copper, it's not hurting anything. I mean, it, it, if it, the placebo effect alone, you know, if you got the money, I work with electricity, so I know how expensive copper is. So if you got the money to do it, go ahead. Uh, my, 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 my joke was I made a meme that said, if electroculture was real, this is what every farm in the United States would look like. And I had these giant copper Tesla rods out in these cornfields out in the middle of Kansas, you know? So I don't know. I don't people know. People did not like that one. People were mad at you about that one. I had they some were... people that were very upset with me about your, it. Your comments were wild for a while. <laughs> I got some real bad, but you know, you're, you're right. You're right though, Kevin. That, that's a really good way to think about it. You know, I, I, you should never tell anybody a hundred percent that won't work. You know, I, I haven't done the studies. I haven't done the research, but anecdotally, I would say it's probably going to have like a placebo effect. You know? Probably. And remember, the placebo effect is on the human, not the plant. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, it's working. Sure. You'll feel better okay. about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and every comment I got was like, well, I can run copper wires out in my garden. And they're like, no, you got to read the book and you got to do it exactly this way, pointing south. I was going to say, um, there's probably all these different uh, variables that apply to it. I'm like, how yeah. grounded your, your soil, like what you're gardening and how grounded it is in the greater electromagnetic sphere, I guess. But I don't know. I haven't tried it. No, I, I, but I, I like the way Kevin is, thinks about, you know, mm -hmm. answers questions like that. Because I, I did a lot of videos in the beginning of like old wives' tale videos, like the orange peels in the garden, uh, the co the coffee in the garden, the milk in the garden. Um, and most of it's been debunked like the coffee thing. You know, does coffee acidify your soil? Maybe if you planted your azaleas in 100% coffee, it would, it would acidify them. Uh, but most of, the, most of the acid gets out of the coffee grounds in the actual brewing process. You know, but it's not hurting anything. Putting the coffee right. grounds in the, in the garden isn't hurting. My, my biggest thing is like when you fertilize, like how bioavailable is that fertilizer to the plants? Like how much, what percentage of that is be, being taken up, and what is needed in the soil to create an, an environment where you're you're maximizing the quantity of nutrients being taken up by the plant? And I feel like recently I've been listening to a lot about fungus playing that role in doing that for plants. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So I'm curious so on how that works for my figs. Yeah. So Destin got to meet one of our, our newest faculty member who is a microbiome person. And you guys talked a little bit about that, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. The fungi. Oh, cool. we, we, we were talking about, uh, we were talking about, uh, what was it? Growing truffles? Was it truffle yeah. growing? Yeah. He was, oh, he's, yeah. he's truffle. He's, I guess he studied in France and was talking about truffles and stuff. And I was like, that sounds so interesting. I, I'd like to know more about that. You know, it's, it's really neat. Uh, you, you, you were talking about the bioavailability. Um, I, 
I tell people this because some of the research I've done, um, but people ask me about the liquid fertilizer versus the pelleted fertilizer or the granules. Um, the studies, some of the studies I've seen is that uh, plants can actually absorb more micronutrients through the foliar feeding than through the ground. Is, is there some science to that? Yeah. There well, is. Yeah. Go ahead, Kevin. So, yeah. So that's always about, about formulation, you know? So you know that there are fertilizers that are liquid that you pour as a drench for absorption. Some of this liquid fertilizer is, is formulated in such a way that some plants, well, many plants, uh, it will uptake it through, through the foliage. And then you got the palleted form, which are some a quick release. So they get in there and, and the microbial effect will break it down to a form that, that the plants can pick up. Or they're slow release, you know, formulated in different ways that it slowly lets go of some of those nutrients. So, so, right. so a lot of it is, you know, in the fertilizer business, you got all this various things that can be done uh, to it to make it when it's available in the soil. Now, the whole concept of what's available to the plant, you know, sometimes it's there and the plant can pick it up. Uh, I think some of you have heard of the mycorrhizae type effect. So this right. are, uh, um, uh, what is it, symbion type situations where where that, that beneficial fungus is, is, is basically acquiring those nutrients and transferring it to the plant and then it's getting some benefit from the plant in terms of the sugars from the plant. So, uh, you know, there, there's biological basis to some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, Kevin said it right, that it depends so much on what you're applying and where you're applying it. So I'll give you an example up here where I am. We have very high pH soils, right? You know, most yeah. of them are seven and a half, eight, eight plus in some in some cases, very high <clears throat> calcium heavy soil so things like uh zinc and manganese and magnesium and iron get bound up to those soil particles and so we we have plenty of iron in the soil and in fact if you drive outside of lubbock you see all these like red orange soils which is just the soil rusting essentially all the mm -hmm. the iron in there rusting but it's not plant available because it's so like tightly absorbed adsorbed to the soil particles so in those cases, yeah, foliar feeds of some of our, our metal nutrients become essential because if you put it in the soil, the plant can't get to it unless it's a very specific, you know, again, formulation of that. So you see, again, in, in pecan orchards, they are chronically zinc deficient, uh, iron deficient, and you'll see them foliar feeding um, because it doesn't work well uh, through the soil. So, yeah, just like just like Kevin said, it's so much regional uh uh, climate related, uh, weather related, soil related, plant related. It's, I, th I think, you know, the safe answer in science all the time is it depends. I don't know. It depends. Uh, <laughs> so many people, factors of that, but uh, it is complicated. And um, I think that it kind of needs to be, and we need to understand some of the nuance of it too. Yeah. I, I think of it Absolutely. like, you know, you know, you know, when you say you're going to go on a diet and you go like to the nutrient hut or whatever it's called, and you go in and you get like a bunch of vitamins and like you take a bunch of vitamins and you're like, yeah, I'm t I need to take this and that and that. And what you're really like, you're, you're taking all the like 10, 12 vitamins. And what you're really doing is buying really expensive urine, you know, because your, your body's not absorbing yeah. like hardly any of that. It's just going right through the, the body, you know. And so and so sometimes that can happen with fertilizer, you know, it, it's, it's like you were saying, bio bioavailability.
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't forget about timing too. You know, fertilizing when the plant is dormant is. Uh, yeah, I, I I had better I had slow release. Some, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, somebody was telling me that uh, if you wanted to go ahead and fertilize some of your stuff, now would be okay because it'll everything's about to start waking up to go ahead and put out some of your granulated stuff so that whenever it starts to break bud, it's already available. So now would be a good time. Someone was asking me about their citrus today. Hey, is now a good time to start? Well, I, I never, I, I keep my stuff in my greenhouse, so I never really stop fertilizing it. Like really it's, they're producing calamundans in my greenhouse right now. Um, I love them. Uh, so I never stopped, but yeah. And if you're going to want to start your apples and your peaches and everything, go, you can go ahead and start now as well oh my goodness well i really appreciate all y'all coming on tonight we were just past an hour um but i I, 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 i'm I'm telling you the the more fun we have the faster these podcasts go yeah and and we definitely got to have kevin back on and vikram i I like kevin and vikram together because like peanut butter and jelly it's the bow ties it's it's yeah oh man peanut butter and jelly bow ties killing me that'd be sick (laughs) <laughs> but um i had a virus question though because i learned last night we yeah, had the um hobby greenhouse club that i'm president of here in wilmington um we had the tidewater camellia club come over and present and they talked about variegation of camellias created by viruses and how he would when he would graft he would almost like ping it now is that correct and i don't know anything he just mentioned that i didn't get to ask questions on it because they moved on to like 400 varieties of camellia but i didn't know how that how that affects it how viruses can create that variegation so that that whole work of using viruses for how would i put it unique phenotypes yeah um it's not new i mean the dutch did that with bulbs with tulips Okay. You know, and, right. and, 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 and there are rules and regulations that govern the importation of that plant material. And one of it right. is, is it has to be tested to show that the inclusion of that virus is stable and it's not going to get out and cause problems elsewhere. Mm. So, yeah, breeders have used viruses as a tool to get all those funky traits. Now, this is a trade-off, though. Some viruses, you know, create these problems, and it may not have an impact, a huge impact on the health of the plant. So then you can get away with a plant with funky symptoms and relatively healthy. The bad part is when you actually infect that plant, you get the funky symptoms, but at the same time, there's a huge fitness cost. So now you got a weakened plant that is more susceptible to a bunch of other things. Yeah. So has it been used as a tool to get cool traits? Absolutely. We are humans. We're going to use every darn thing to do that. And, And just for history, you know, people have done chemical mutagenesis. That's a huge word. Basically using chemicals that can mutate certain genetic materials. Why? Because we want that cool, funky symptoms. X-Men. Uh, man. Or, 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 or like four turtles that know, you know, Kung Fu. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I will be willing to bet that at some point, somebody probably also electroshock 
plants to get funky <laughs> symptoms. Oh my god! So, so this this may this may you may have just answered my question. And so, are is there such thing as a good a good a good virus a, a good virus? So I, I guess it's really just you have to take the good with the bad sometimes. Sometimes well, it. <laughs> well, you, we know when you ask that question, I'm going to ask you: Are they good humans? Yeah. It's all and, perception. And, you know, are, they, are they bad humans, you know, and, and, and what it is. And if you remember when you were on third floor, remember we walked by uh, 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 the, the labs that were next to mine, the uh, Center for Fosh Technology. Remember, they were using viruses to, to kill bad bacteria. Oh, that's right. That's uh, right. Yeah, yes. That's cool. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so okay. So, but, but you would, ha- you would, uh, You'd manipulate the virus, right? It wouldn't be like the the raw form of it. You would genetically modify it. Not necessarily. No. You could select for and enrich it. Okay. You know, it's like saying, "Hey, that's where the good people are." Well, let's gather all of them and stick them to this part of the town. And as they populate that part of the town, you know, for example, like Vikram and family, then we actually got a part of Lubbock that is really cool with all the people. <laughs> No, that, that makes sense. No, I, I, that's 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 awesome. No, I like that, and and uh, I, I don't want to take y'all any longer than than this, guys. I know y'all have a place to go. Vikram is probably still at his office. Um, oh, no, I'm at home now. Oh, I'm you are. I'm set up at home. Yeah. Right. Oh, my bad, dude. Nice, dude. Oh, uh, real quick, did your did yeah. your did your radio show get canceled, Vikram? Uh yeah, yep. The so NPR our, one, right? Yeah, NPR. the NPR one in the grow got canceled. No. Yeah. Dang. Had a bunch of cuts, and a lot of the producers got laid off, actually, which is super sad. And so, uh, my co-host and producer just got laid off, and uh, it was it was a shocking kind of "Hey, we've got a meeting this morning" kind of deal. And so, we actually just uh, it was kind of sad. We just recorded our last episodes yesterday, so there's three oh. more of in the grow, and then uh, and then it's gone. Now, I mean, I'm still doing anthropology and and uh rachel and i talked in or, or we've been kind of talking and some of it's going to depend on what happens with her job you know because um, that was her full-time job right her oh produ- yeah yeah she was a full-time she produced three shows uh three npr shows uh, and that was her full-time job and um but you know it went out as a podcast as well and depending on what her future looks like you know we we would love to continue it as, as just as a podcast but um that time will tell we don't know yet but it was that was definitely a bummer this week well just just know just know that you are always welcome to become a permanent member of the garden party like me and phil you can come if if, i I know i know you have so much free time that you can be on multiple (laughs) podcasts every single week um but real quick phil let everybody know where they can find you dude Let, let everybody know what you got going on hey guys you can find me at Phil's Figs on all the social media. I got philsfigs.com. I still have some cuttings up for sale, but that will be ending soon as a lot of my trees are down to the bare minimum for me to want to grow them this year and uh, reach out with any questions regarding figs and even some other plants. I grow other stuff too. Yes. And if you didn't already, if you want to listen to a complete fig cast, uh, last week it was just me and Phil, so me and Phil went hard in the paint on figs. So go to Spotify, go to YouTube, and listen to last week's episode. And we talked about figs for basically an hour and twenty minutes. Uh, so awesome figs, and and you'll have rooted cutting rooted figs soon, right? Too. 
Yeah, I'm trying to aim for April. Um, last freeze here is April 1st, and I just want to make sure that it gets safely to its destination. So uh, be cognizant when they gotcha. become available. But check in in April and May for lots of trees. You need to do a pre-order so people can start banking it up. Oh, yeah, that's a good call. Mr. Vikram, let everybody know where they can find you, what you got coming up. I am the plant prof. Um all the places, unfortunately. Uh, I may or may not be eating lemons with the rind. Uh, who knows? <laughs> the future is unknowable. Um, my podcast, Planthropology, is back. I am just started releasing episodes again. I had a great one last week uh, with a game producer. who uh, That was a good one. A I just listened to it. Oh, awesome. Thanks. Yeah, Garden Life comes out next week, actually. And so... Uh, oh, you froze. And then I've got... This, was, this is a big one I'm pretty excited about. Uh, next week... I got to interview Dr. Catherine Hayhoe, who is a sort of world-renowned climatologist and science communicator. Um, nice. And so that's she, I've, I've been trying to get her on the show for like two and a half years. Nice. And uh, finally got to talk to her. She is lovely. Uh, and that comes out on the 22nd, so a week from today. So that's awesome. good stuff. And if you want to go listen to In the Grow, even though we're not making much more new episodes, there's a backlog of great content. That was a fun show. And I think a lot of uh, the listeners of this would enjoy it. That's awesome. No, for sure. Go follow awesome. in the grow and uh, go follow plant anthropology uh, for the Josh Peck thing to get his attention. I say you just do it that same video every day every until day. he mentions you and just do you eating something different, something weird just, every day, just until he notices psychological warfare. Yes. And I'm, I'm coming for you, Josh. Peck. You, have, you, have, you, have a, you have a pretty decent following. I don't see how he wouldn't notice. You. Like, it's, <laughs> it's gotta be that. Um, Mr. Kevin Ong, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, will you let everybody know where they can find you on the internet sure. and if you got any events or anything coming up? Sure, absolutely. So if you guys get a chance, check out Texas Plant Clinic, TX Plant Clinic on Instagram or Facebook. We usually try and uh, be, be more active at it. Uh, some of my staff would post stuff and, and uh, always check in on Wednesday because ever so often when we get a frustrating email uh, that is good, there will be the hashtag What Wednesdays and you can always go back and look for stuff. And uh, there are some really good old content which is still uh, uh, relevant uh, in in our YouTube, uh, I guess, uh, repository that when we had a lot of fun with videos. So check out TX Plant Clinic, you know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and uh, if you go to their Instagram, you, you might scroll through and see some pictures of the print of like the problem you're having with your plant. And so it may save you, it may save you an email just scrolling through. Cause one thing we, we noticed uh, when we were learning when I was talking to Hannah is everybody thinks they have the most rare, <laughs> like never before seen disease. And it's usually pretty common. It's usually not that uncommon, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's definitely worth a follow. And I talked to Hannah, y'all are going to step your social media game up and uh, we're going to get Han We're going to have Hannah on too. I'll, I'll make sure to get her on That'd as well. Good. That'd yes, nice. absolutely. Well, and Always I get the one that actually do the work and know what they're talking about. <laughs> yes. There you go. Yes, you were great to have. You were great to have on, Kevin. I'd love to get you back on at some point again. I know, I know you're a busy guy. Kevin told me I need to book him at least sixty days in advance next time. Ninety. Ninety. <laughs> ninety. Days. 90. <laughs> All right. Just do it. okay. Next. 90 yeah. days it's starting now. 90 days, from now. 90 days from today. We're going to have you back on. <laughs> I'll send you an email tomorrow, Kevin. <laughs> well, yeah. I am, 
I, I'm, I'm Destin Noack, Texas Garden Guy. You can find Texas Garden Guy on every social media platform. Um, I've got a big event. My next event is at Enchanted Forest in Richmond, Texas. Uh, we're doing a spring garden class. Um, and then we got a t- March is going to be so crazy. So make sure to go to, to my Facebook or whatever and see my events. Um, and I appreciate y'all hanging on, hanging out. If you want to watch this on YouTube, it'll be on YouTube tomorrow. It'll be on Spotify tomorrow. It'll be on Apple music, uh, go find or Apple podcast, go follow the garden party and I'll see y'all on the next.